sang this song to me There was a message in this melody Sweetest lyrics that I ever heard There's a message in the songs of birds Tomorrow is another day Living is the only way Tomorrow's gonna ever come Listen to the words of the song Everything gonna be Everything is gonna be Um, I work with a lot of uh, nonprofits and churches, and that's actually how I got my start in accounting years ago before um, I opened an accounting firm. Um, later in life, uh, situations and circumstances changed for me, um, which caused, and it was it was divinely appointed by God, which caused me to seek things uh, to make a difference. And so I went back to school. I, I first pursued my master's in public policy because um I heard about the advocacy roles that people can play. And I wanted to really feel like I was impacting change on a different level. And so um, once I did that, um, I met some professors who kind of heard about my background and the things that I had been through and what I experienced. And they were like, you would be perfect for this community psychology degree. And that's how I segued. So I went straight from the master's in public policy straight into um, community psychology program. So um, I loved it. It was pressure. It was awesome. It was uh, me doing something that was for me that I felt like uh, really was part of my, my steps being ordered by God. And so uh, everything flowed and I was done really fast. To me, it was fast. And um, I just, while I was working in school, there were so many other things going on in my life um, where there was adjustments being made and changes and things like that, that I just rolled my sleeves up and I just got into um, the activities of what was uh, being swayed um, with change in the systemic racism, the disenfranchised communities, everything that I noticed as a child growing up, um, I found myself uh, working with and, and connecting with resources and people and organizations. And so uh, that was a path that was paved out for me. And it, it had to be designed by God because the way it flowed, it, it's unbelievable. I can't even begin to tell you how, uh, how awesome it is to have rubbed elbows with people in the path that I've traveled. So, um, I love being a community psychologist because it takes the concept of helping people on another level. And even when I went back to school for my master's, I thought about how I could bring a, a voice to the table, but also have some hands, you know, actually working in, in those capacities. And so I wanted a seat at the table, but I wanted to also have some sort of credentials uh, where no one questioned um, how I could be sitting at the table with them. And so in my mind, I wanted to navigate certain spaces and I wanted to advocate for people. And that's that path was paved by that by those experiences that I had that impacted me personally and my family. So what type of social problems do you work with? So and what are some of your favorite ones first? I know you probably work with a lot of them, but what type? So, yes. um, so as a community psychologist, um, we are interested in anything that affects disenfranchised people, okay. um, black and brown people, people that look like us, um, everything from poverty to homelessness, um, lack of quality education, um, food issues, uh, mm -hmm. food insecurities, um, the inability to be able to earn livable wages, um, 
mass incarceration, um, civil rights, anything that puts us in a position where we're we're the minority and we're treated as such and the laws are stacked against us, those are disenfranchised communities. So anything that's less than, that's been programmed by design to be less than, those are the things that we focus on. Some of my favorites, I deal with uh, mass incarceration. That's that's one of my favorite topics. Um, I, I am very, very big on fighting against the inhumane treatment of people who are incarcerated. Um, I think there are so many different stories of how people end up in these positions, but I think as a community, we look at the systemic issues. So things that have been root causes that, that go back hundreds of years that have just generationally been impacting people like us. And so um, my favorite by, by all means is incarceration. That's the first and foremost thing uh, that we look forward to assisting. But then there's this advocacy piece for the young people and for, for people who have been impacted by the carceral system, even if they've never been incarcerated before, but they've had some sort of issue that's caused them to, to be impacted or categorized or stereotyped where they, they won't be given a second chance. So um, I fight for those type of issues. And so that just trickles down into anything that affects our community from poverty to quality of our education, how we're not uh, given a, a level playing field. And, um, and so I use those issues um, as ways to link together and I'm huge on collaboration. So that's how I end up working with a number of different organizations. Um, and that was uh, one of the things that I, I'm glad that I'm able to talk about with you, uh, Stephanie, is that I am now a founder of Make Noise for Change. That's a nonprofit that I founded a few years ago. Um, and because I was a co-founder in another, I kind of sat that to the side and I wasn't really functioning. But once I saw the need for us to link up with organizations, individuals with throughout the, the state, the country, um, that's what makes a difference to me because we make a louder a voice when we connect together. And so sometimes it means laying differences aside. So uh, so that's why collaboration is key for me. Now, some people uh, hear incarceration and they think, oh, how bad could it be? So, but what kinds of things do you help uh, people who are reentering into society? And what are some of the issues they face? So prior to even coming out of incarceration, um, we look at the things that happen on the inside of uh, prison systems, such as the um, inhumane treatment where, where individuals, let's say, for instance, in Statesville, an issue uh, myself and my sister Cassandra Greer from Justice for Nick, uh, we collaborate on 100 percent. We're taking water to the prisons. Clean water is essential in the lives of human beings. However, when a person is incarcerated, it's it's almost like their life is not considered as valuable. And so in Statesville Prison, there's uh, water that's tainted. It's brown, It's it has Legionnaire's disease in it. Um, several inmates have had to have major surgeries. Um, and so we've been trying to bring a and then we it's been going, it's going on two years that we've been delivering water. She and I, uh, we, Collect water. It it is. It started with a with um, her leading the bus, and I just jumped on board because it was something that was very near and dear to me. Because when you talk to families of those who can't even get water, 
um, clean water and it's going into their bodies, their pores, and it's affecting their health. Um, that's a big issue for me. And so we are grateful that they have given us the opportunity to deliver water. We collect it. We get donations. Sometimes we put our own money up, but we, we collect water on a yearly basis. And uh, once we get enough water, we have to have enough water that it can actually um, be enough for every inmate. We can't take less than the amount of people there. And so um, we've made connections within the prison and they allow us. And now they call us looking for water. So um I have to give a big shout out to Cassandra Greeley. She has been phenomenal. She, I don't know how she does it. She lost her husband to COVID uh, with the negligence inside of uh, Cook County Jail, and she's never stopped going ever since. And it's two years later now. So I really admire her strength. I admire her tenacity and the ability to take her pain and turn it into something with purpose. Now, my next question is, I guess the shock on my face that this water is still an issue, right? So shock and awe. And I do know that that seems to be going around and just throughout the country and in areas where the people are experienced are actually at the poverty level. So how do you work to get a permanent fix to that? I mean, I commend you for taking water, but can and you've been doing it for a couple of years, but can you do it for three years or four years or five years? What so that's, that's an excellent question because I asked the same question. So do we just continue to deliver water? Or are we going to ever fix the issue? So the problem is Statesville prison is decrepit. It should be shut down. I believe there is a plan in place to eventually move all of the inmates to other facilities, mm -hmm. but it's a plan that's going to take a few years to do. And so what's happened is um, the structure of the prison is so old, they can't repair the pipes. And so um, it's it's almost inevitable that unless there's clean water brought into the prison, there's not going to be a quick fix. They've talked about um, doing some uh, structural changes. I just don't know how vested they are in and doing it just because we're still talking about people who are behind the walls. And so their lives are not viewed the same as those individuals who might be in another state and their water main broke and it got tainted. And so we're here to be the voice for those families. And that's what we do. Great question. So why do you think these problems exist? So I think they exist because um, there has been a systemic issue attached to um, the concept of being incarcerated. So that's number one. Um, when you're in a system uh, that is designed or built by, you know, the slavery uh, mentality and the slavery structure, it's always been thought that once you get behind those walls, you're a property of those people behind those walls. So your family no longer has a say, you no longer have a say, and the people in there somehow develop a God complex. Unfortunately, it's it's research has shown that it affects black and brown people on a very large scale. And so because of that, um, there's not a lot of an at attention drawn to it. You should see the legislators, the people we reach out to on a regular basis. And some people are in these political capacities where they can make decisions and they are just flabbergasted. They can't believe that this is a water, that there's a water issue in an institution that has the ability and the funding through the state to make changes, to save lives. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. As our taxes go there, a large amount of them. Yes. And 
that shouldn't be a problem. It's, it's, I pay for my water, so maybe I would have a problem, but they, we pay for that. So what are some of the methods and approaches that you, you use when you're dealing with say incarceration or the lack of water or even some of the other issues that are happening out here that needs your attention? So the main thing is the awareness, getting the word out. Um, we have several campaigns going on right now. And it's just like you said, everyone can play a part, even if you can't necessarily go outside and stand outside with signs or bullhorns. We need calls made. We need letters. We need um, people who don't mind traveling to Springfield to hold elected officials accountable. Um, we have several cases that we're standing with the family on. The family of Alexis Wilson, she was murdered last year in July uh, by a Dalton police officer. Um, so we have a Justice for Alexis Wilson campaign. We stand with the family on a regular basis, but we're fighting right now to get the independent state, the um, Illinois State Police independent investigation. Um, we want them to show what really happened uh, because um, we know that through several witnesses that something happened that was unscrupulous on the side of the officers, but it resulted in a 19 year old's death. And um, I don't know how picking up a, picking up an order from a food store could from a restaurant could end up being uh, the last time someone is seen alive, but it happened and the family is devastated, but they've been fighting and they've been fighting very hard. And now we have justice for Madeline Miller. So now we have an issue right in Flossmoor, where um, a police officer was called to um, a mental health call. Um, and that call turned into uh, the last day of her life. Uh, Madeline Miller was 64 years old. Alexis Wilson was 19. So there are people who hear these stories and people go out and stand, reach out to one another. And so the power of social media is awesome because all of the people that we've met that have stood with us they are people who are just like you and I, who are concerned in some respect. They say, hey, may I, I may not be able to come out and stand with you all, but I can make some phone calls. I can I can write letters. I can create email blasts. And every platform is a good platform, even shows like this. When you do a show and you make people aware, this platform is huge and it pushes information out on another level that every everyone doesn't have access to. And so um, when it comes to these, campaigns and these type of issues, they're, the value of Black lives, Black women in particular, are, are not seen as, as strong, you know, where people don't necessarily galvanize because they're like, well, they won't stand with us, or it was a Black lady, or, you know, those things. And so we're here keeping it alive, not only keeping it alive, but trying to get as many people to become aware of this problem that we have with systemic racism, because when an officer doesn't value a black woman's life, um, that roots back to systemic racism as well. Because anything like that, uh, that you're not using de-escalation de tactics, um, that's clearly um, an issue that needs to be revisited. And so we've been going to board meetings. I mean, countless board meetings. We have a board meeting right after this show. We're going to another board meeting. And what we're trying to do is make citizens aware, but also let's change some of the laws, some of the statutes, some of the things our tax dollars pay for 
that when they hold these board meetings, you can add some training for mental health. You can add some people on your staff who know how to deal with situ situations that won't resolve in a person being shot when they don't have to be. And so um, it's essential right now. It's, it's a huge issue around the country, not just here. Are you finding that the officers themselves would like to have some of that training, some mental health training or some de-escalation de training? Because sometimes you get yourself caught up, as we all know, you know, not taking sides here, but you believe something. And then before you know it, you've shot off and you can't take it back. And then you're trying to figure out how you got there. So so the good thing is we we want to create dialogue with those who we're questioning. So we've been visiting the, the mayors regularly. Some of them are a little bit um, less, you know, likely to speak with us. And so we end up talking to some of the board members, some of the, the citizens, some of the people in the community that are stakeholders. And we are learning now that the culture that exists within law enforcement is simply built around um, the, the concept of shoot to kill. So um, a lot of the training that officers have gone through have put them in a position where they, what they were taught to do. And in essence, we're trying to revisit that, to have that, you know, re changed, reevaluated. Um, because if the same thing keeps happening in various places, you can't just say it's a, oh, that's a Chicago problem or that's a Indiana problem. You know, at the end of the day, we, we have to know that the laws that are um, giving officers a chance to do something and not necessarily be accountable have to deal with the qualified immunity law, you know, a lot of things like that. And so what we try to do is we try to provide a mediation way for me to be able to express that they would like justice, but also find out the facts. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, when they start holding facts, Stephanie, that's a problem. When we don't want to release reports and things like that, then usually that's an issue because if, if they believe that they're right, they're going to hurry up and produce evidence right away. So have you seen I, enough movement to where, I know there was some conversation about having mental health professionals uh, work with officers when they have what they think are mental health calls. Have you seen enough move, any movement in that? And if so, how are how are police officers accepting it? Because um, that's two different people with two different missions. Absolutely, absolutely. Trying to work so in the state of Illinois, they just implemented um, a new phone number for mental health calls, and I believe it's nine eight eight. The only thing is they haven't created the framework that goes with it. So what happens after a person calls 988, that part has to be created. That structure is not in place. In other states, they have uh, implemented mental health officers that now go on calls that are designated for mental health calls. And so they're using those as a way to evaluate how those things work, what can be fixed, what needs to be adjusted. And for the most part, um, those people are able to um, de-escalate a situation before it gets to the point of weapons being used. And so um, I believe that once the information we're presenting uh, about several crisis intervention programs mm -hmm. are, are implemented, I believe that the department has to be open to it first. But once they sit down and really see that it's something designed to help the community, it's, it's going to not only impact the way the officers feel, because imagine an officer kills someone, officers 
to go home. There's mental health on that side. Right. Then there's the other mental health side where um, the family is now dealing with, you know, whether it's the daughter, son, husband, wife, they're dealing with it. And so all of that together is just a spontaneous combustion waiting to happen. And so what we have to do is we have to create some tools so that the awareness can go across the board. And I think that's what's missing in these um, agencies. And I'm surprised lately at the number of uh, even Facebook social media posts where police officers are openly beginning to talk about the amount of stress and even mental uh, issues that they're having. And then recently, the amount of suicides that they're committing. Oh so my God. You're right. Our, our current system has got to be fixed because now nobody, the protector is not there and the person they're supposed to be protecting is harmed too. So we do have to get a handle on that and make sure that everything ends well. Uh, so, so what organizations outside of, as I know you meet many out there, so are there other organizations uh, that need help too and maybe are approaching this a little different? So as viewers are listening, maybe they can get an idea as to, you know, we want you to help somewhere, find yeah. what's a good fit for you because this helps everybody. Oh, there are a number of organizations. Um, and, and one thing that I really push for is I push for the collaboration of organizations across the board. Mm -hmm. Some that you see on a regular basis. Um, you see PSL Chicago, you see Good Kids Mad City, um, Justice for Nick, the Nis Nicholas Lee Foundation. Um, you see the Violence Interrupters. Um, there are so many different organizations, um, and the, I'm naming some that I have worked with, and I've, I'm a part of them too. Um, because once we start collaborating, the have been for a few years and this goes back six seven years and so once you build these rapports with people and these relationships then other people start joining and they say hey i've seen you out there for years like i had not realized how long i've been in the social media world because um i was very resistant to social media at first so i wasn't trying to get on the on the facebook and whoever else you know i was like i just want to lay low and do what i do and once i saw the voice that it streams out then I was like, oh, this is phenomenal. You know, so from, from that perspective, that's what I feel like the social media platform is, is used more for to get messages out and to also voices of other people because had there not been some of the cases that we've seen go very publicly, we would never have seen or heard them because they would never have publicized them to that magnitude. So I'm very thankful for the platforms of social media. And thank God for cell phones, too, and the ability to be able to utilize to save lives. I've pulled up on traffic stops and pulled my phone out. And uh, because I've seen sometimes little young kids, they get pulled over by the police and, they, you know, they might be in the wrong area that they think they're in the right area, but they're really in the wrong area. Right. And um, the way the police may be treating them and, you know, yeah. I, I would want people to do that for me. I would want someone to do that for me if I was being mistreated in a traffic stop or something like that. And people have done that. I've seen I've seen people intervene um, in certain situations that have really like it cushioned. It's, it kind of calmed everything down. Be irate, but you can just be an observer, and nothing's wrong with that. And so we need everyone, any anyone that feels like they can lend a hand. I don't care if it's a dollar. I don't care if it's a case of war. 
I don't care because we have drop off spots. And that's what I was going to say. That's that's what I said when it went off. Um, if they go to our social media, LaShawn Yvonne Latrice and Cassandra Greer, you'll see the, the drop off locations um, that are listed on the flyer. But there are also donation links, too. And we take that water to them the other month. Um, and now the prison is calling saying, hey, next drop off. We're like, oh, my God. <laughs> How much water do you need to gather in a month in order to to fit the need? Um, we need at least um, 40 cases. I think we can fit on the truck that we use. We take, I'm sorry, not 40 cases. We take pallets, 40 pallets. And I think he said he can fit 32 on each load. So sometimes if we get more than 32, we do two trips. Okay. Uh, Stateville is only about an hour out. And so um, we do two trips. Um, the last couple of times we've had some water companies donate a significant amount of water. So we haven't been there in two, four months and now they're running low. So whenever they start reaching out to us, we know water's getting low. Now, my only caveat here is I don't know how on earth there is not some funding that is coming from the state being used to buy the same water that we're collecting money and getting donations for. That to me is just unbelievable that there is no, the governor has not put any attention on that. I just don't understand how, um, if there's an allocation of resources to these prisons, both, both state and federal, we know that this money exists, but I don't know how it's not being used to make sure that clean water is the number one thing. Now, what size bottles of water do you prefer? The 16.9 ounces. We can't take the smaller ones and we can't take the larger ones. They have to be the regular uh, 16.9 ounce bottles. All right. Just so people who want to donate water can donate the correct water. And you have a, do they have a preference? Is it uh, spring water, filtered water? No. Is it water? There's no, no preference. And actually... Um, we had a we had a gentleman that donated some alkaline water. Oh my God, it was un, they did not believe we were bringing alkaline water to the prison, and it turned into maybe the guards want some of it versus the inmates. And see, that's not fair because they get to go home. Like, uh, uh, don't send us that anymore, please. We thank you for the alkaline water, but just give us regular water because we don't want the water to now be an issue of whether who's going to get it or not. Because see, we can't really control what happens behind closed doors, and so um, we we can just take regular water. It can be spring purified, you know, it doesn't matter. But we're not going to try to get the high end water because we know that creates an issue that we can't control on the other side. Thank you for that because you. I can imagine, right? It would be right because people barter, use it to barter with, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then, and then too, you know, an, an inmate cannot tell a guard that they can't drink their water. You know what I'm saying? Like it exactly. just they, it doesn't work like that. So right. we don't want to put them in those positions where they have to defend water. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, it's, it's already more than a notion. If you're paying your debt to society how whatever has happened for you to get there, you're still a human being. You still have family that love you. You still deserve a chance to see what the outside of those walls look like after that. And so our whole thing is just making the humanity real for people. So where do people, how do they contact you if they want to volunteer or if they want to find out exactly where to drop off the water or how this works or anything else that they may want to 
I help with because some people have a lot of means and they want to help in a big way. But I, so how do they contact you? So people can contact us via Facebook. Uh, we have Facebook, uh, LaShawn Yvonne Latrice. That's one of my Facebook accounts. Cassandra Greer, that's G-R-E-E-R, -E -E spelled just like Cassandra, how it sounds. Um, we can both be messaged and you can also link us on Facebook. You can look us up and, and just send a message through um, and connect with us. And we'd be more than willing to show um, our flyers are on the, on the social media pages as well. So it shows the donation tabs as well. And uh, we, we also can show them, um, we can give them, if it's a large donation, we can give them their 501 that they may need to show if they've given over a certain dollar amount and they would like to write that off. And we've, we've had to do that for different stores and companies. So that's no problem at all. Okay, fantastic. Um, so when, we, when you switch hats from the incarcerated to now all of a sudden the actual uh, violence that's happening on the street and it seems to be a lot of it. I do know that things do get inflated by the press and then some things that need to be told are never told uh, by the press. So how do people answer a call if you need help when there's been a shooting that we need to bring uh, the attention of to the citizens in Chicago? Because people need to understand our tax dollars are being spent to not only to take care of all of the services we get, but also to pay these large fines that mm -hmm. we're paying. It's coming out of our pocket. Um, <laughs> so how do we help you with that? So so that's a great question. Um, when we think about um, how our tax dollars work, um, we really need to pay attention to two different things. We are voting legislators in who are supposed to decide how funds are used, but we have to pay attention to the allocation of those resources. So that means attending uh, things like board meetings, uh, community hearings, things like that. Because if the community does not speak up, then they get no say because no voice is steering those dollars. And so um, when I think about um, the violence in the community, I think about how much money we've paid out in lawsuits um, to various Ooh. families. Oh, yes millions millions upon millions of dollars and that that's only what we know think about all the things that have happened that have that people have had to sign these agreements for gag orders not to talk about so these funds are often discussed across various political entities you know different meetings and things like that but a lot of people never think that it hits us directly but it really does so that's one way we can look at it but then when you look at the investment of um our tax dollars into building a larger police presence and not necessarily steering it towards the resources that are causing the need for the police. Because if you think back 10 years ago, <clears throat> when things were being, services were being cut, um, social services were leaving, park district services were leaving. We, we had these internal conversations amongst our groups. And we said, you know, in seven years, this is going to be happening. In five years, this is going to be happening. And as every new political figure came in, they said, there's no need for that. There's no need for that. And they cut, cut, cut. Well, now if you look around, there's a drought. We have no mental health services. We have no real resources in the community that youth can actually steer themselves to. So what's happening now? 
the survival of the fittest. And so now people are going into these various entities and, and turning themselves into survival mode in order to make it. And I'm glad you brought that up because this huge conversation about purge versus the safety act, you know, what's real and what's not. I'm urging people to read the law for themselves and understand that it was done because of the systemic racism that exists in holding people who were incarcerated and because they couldn't come up with a hundred dollars. So the concept of how it's being advertised in these million dollar commercials that the purge is happening, that's just a way to scare people into the vote over this way. And so I, I just want people to understand the political game is real. It's real. It's so real that people don't mind putting up their own money, millions and millions of dollars, just to have people walking around saying, oh, it's going to be a purge in January. And I've heard that several times. And at first I was like, what are they talking about? But I also was a person who was for the end money bill campaign. So when I thought about it, I said, oh, they're talking about the safety act. So they're thinking that the safety act is going to just open up the gates and people are going to jump out and start, you know, hurting people and things like that. But everybody knows somebody that's impacted by incarceration. And a lot of people, a lot of times money is an issue when it comes to it. And so I just pray that people just take the time and learn what those laws say for themselves and don't take the words of the politicians. That's my biggest prayer. And don't take the words of one journalist, as I always say, just like Shotland, said, read the legislation. Because uh, I know I'm often asked, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I says, I haven't read the law yet. I've got to read the document first before I can, before I can formulate an opinion. I too was for an end uh, bond. It's like, especially for nonviolent crimes, there are just far too many people who have jobs that, you know, are hourly. They don't have a lot of sick time or vacation time. They can't come up with the money and they're sitting in there and they lose everything. And then the judge says, not guilty, you're released. It's like, okay, so how do we make them whole now? Uh, but uh, I think that also, People need to just stop, as you say, and read the document. Mm -hmm. Don't take anybody's word for it. Read the document yourself. Yeah. Make notes on it and ask questions. You're allowed to send your legislature some questions about the act itself, and they have to answer you because you pay their salary and you pay for them to have better insurance than you got. That's right. That's right. So, so, so and if it's on the national level. They have the best insurance in the world and they don't pay anything for it. So bother them with your questions. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and you're right. We don't do, we don't go to board meetings and I'm guilty of that and I've got to stop that. Um, and so this is how it happens. You move up and all of a sudden there's a million dollar condominium in your neighborhood. Your right. store is gone and you wonder what happened. It's like, and they've been talking about it for years. We just couldn't find an hour, a week, or every other week to go to a meeting to see. So oh, we, need to become, we need to become better invested in this, in, in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our world, in our country. And that's how we get the world we want. Too many of us have just been too silent. That's right. That's right. And, and even even if you can take some time and 
and get on a bus to go stand um, and, and let the lawmakers hear your voice. Um, they have a bus going on November 16th um, for the uh, Safety Act. And uh, I, I want people to know that that bus is real. It's going to probably be a lot of people getting on that bus now because now people are kind of seeing the campaigns that are out there that are being pushed out in the media. And um, many people who are actually recipients of the law changing um, are going to be speaking as well. And so um, I just I just want people to be educated. Tell us about the Safety Act. So. So. Um, Most people not going to read. <laughs> so, so, so the Safety Act was really designed, and I don't want to misspeak on it because it's a lot of components. To I know, it. it's a lot of components. It was, it was designed um, so that people would not have to spend years in jail for crimes that they could actually bail themselves out for, or the, the bail would not be the reason why they can't get out. So I, I was speaking to a gentleman, give you an example. I was speaking to a gentleman who was uh, in one of my programs that I was a part of. He had been incarcerated for seven years awaiting trial. Not, yeah. I mean, yes. And, and it was a nonviolent offense. That was number one. But number two, I think his bail was $1,000. Now, let's just think about that. Seven years, a father is away from his children. Seven years, a, 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 a Black man is away from his community. All of those factors compile upon each other. And then if you factor in um, the, the fact that the pandemic happened and then people got caught in that whole system of being in a place where they weren't supposed to be um, because they needed to shuffle people around to try to make space and things like that, it, it contributed to the death of many people. Yeah. And the bad part is, is that somebody somewhere knew before the pandemic was made public, that those things were being impacted behind the walls. They knew that people were sick and they knew that they were too tightly compacted upon each other, but they chose not to say anything because they said, oh, it'll go away. It'll blow over. And that blowing over meant people died. And I mean, significant lives were lost. We're talking about inmates. We're talking about guards. We're talking about mm -hmm. people who have families who depended on mm -hmm. them. And so whatever the case is, they deserve their day in court. They deserve to go before the judge. They didn't deserve to be sentenced to death. And so a, a lot of what we do is holding um, Cook County Jail accountable because that has been a housing place for a lot of a lot of just whew, horrible practices that are negligent. And it's costing lives to this day. And right now, if we had not invested the type of time standing out there and just getting the word out to people. I couldn't even imagine what the situation would look like now. And it's already bad. And so keeping people aware of, look at the people that run the facility, look at how long they've been in those positions. Let's come up with some laws that will limit those terms. Because after a while, you work in a place like that People just don't run against you. You're unopposed. And so, you know, you could be doing huge damage, but you're over this huge budget that's controlling lives across the board. And so we have to definitely make sure that we keep that at the forefront of the conversation. Yes, I think that term limits, term limits have become now more main, a mainstream conversation than before. And I do think that we need to have term limits because 
we have a whole generation of people who will never get an opportunity for those positions who have absolutely great ideas and could probably move some things even faster. Uh, so we, we do need to get involved. I, we do need to have term limits. So I think we are just about coming to the end of our time. So I do want to thank you. Yeah, for thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. I want to remind everyone again, and I promise I am going to do it, is we do have to start making some of these meetings. We have all of these, what I call intense whining se sessions where we complain about stuff we can't change to people who can't change it. When all we need to do is go into the meeting and you will be surprised just having a face there, them seeing your face, seeing you knowing that you are interested and that you have an opinion does make a difference. So never underestimate the power of you showing up. So everyone, no matter where you live, no matter where you see this. That's right. Find, find something that you're passionate about and go do that. Okay. Yes. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of community activism going on. And as we said, Everyone doesn't have to march. Some people can make phone calls. Some people can pass out flyers. Some people can do social media. There's a lot of stuff that we can do. And some people can simply show up to the meetings. But we have got to save ourselves. Um, Johnny Cochran said once that uh, you can guarantee that you will never commit a crime. But you cannot guarantee that you will never be arrested. Hmm for committing a crime, Whoa. okay? So you can never guarantee that. So we all have a vested interest in this. That's right, that's right. So thank you for all that you do and all that you've been doing all this time. And uh, and you have taken on such a huge task. And those of you listening, we need to help, help her out. Yes. Every, every city, just let's just get off our butts, let's just, Put down our phones sometimes because you know if you if you believe everything you read in the news, the phones are killing us. So put your phone down for a few minutes. There you go. There you and go. Get active. We've got <laughs> to get active. And I don't care what you believe, and I don't care what your political party is, as I just don't care like that. I want every voice to get active. I want voices that are alike, voices that are conflicting, because every idea is important and every person is important so we need to start acting like that yes absolutely so um the safety act um so get in touch with dr latrice if you're interested in helping out with that she has ways that um that you can help her out with that and read the act yes before you formulate an opinion please Yes. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining me. Uh, as always, I want to let the audience know that may this day unfold just as you need it and be inspired until further notice. I want you to celebrate absolutely everything. Yes. Do not go gently into that good night. Find a heel worth dying for and take it. I need you to be the person that you've been waiting for and make today so awesome that yesterday gets jealous and above all else, do it your way. 
I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the empowerment doctor, and it has been my pleasure. Good night, LaShawn. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the empowerment doctor. And today I want to encourage you to refuse to be distracted from your goals. Today, I want you to affirm, I put my attention on my goals. I reject all distractions. My focus is exactly where it belongs. I choose my decisions and actions based on my goals. There are three self-reflecting questions I want you to consider. One, what am I committed to achieving? Does my focus support achieving that goal? Two, what are the biggest distractions in my life? What can I do to minimize those distractions? And the third question is, what would happen in the next year if I could avoid 90% of the distractions in my life and work on my goals consistently? Remember, I want you to use these steps and the answers to these questions to determine how you can refuse to be distracted from your goals. I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the empowerment doctor. And as I always say, life is too short to drink cheap champagne. Dream big. Have a great day. To drink cheap champagne So I decided to buy me